Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Before we start this episode, I'd love to tell you very briefly about The Clubhouse, a new kind of private members club brought to you by Gentleman's Journal. Clubhouse members get four issues of Gentleman's Journal magazine delivered straight to their door across the year, full of all those invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurship, style and culture that you'd hope for. As well as, of course, some exclusive deals with a range of partner brands, restaurants and hotels, not to mention invitations to some very exciting events across the year. In fact, if you're a podcast listener, which you obviously are, you now get 20% off your annual Clubhouse membership, meaning you get the full Gentleman's Journal experience in full colour for just £56 a year, which sounds a bit like a bargain to me. To get that, just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. Right, let's get on with the podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, oh, here we I'd like go. to take the opportunity to welcome you all here and to bring to the stage Anthony Romano, uh, CEO of um, the Churches Group. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. I'm in partnership with uh, Gentleman's Journal and uh, Northampton Saints, I welcome you to the Churches Showroom here in Mayfair. Um, I know I'm not, not, I was not supposed to write a speech and say too much, but I did. Uh, uh, I had to hide this from my communication manager. <laughs> so many of you will know uh, churches for its classic shoes, um, as you'll see here behind us. I'm going to take the opportunity to, to sell two shoes. You know, I, uh, we have our classics. We're all known for our classics. Um, but in, in addition, churches over the last few years have been redeveloping uh, other ranges of shoes. Uh, the other ranges, I say redeveloping because we've been doing it for over 100 years. We've been doing sneakers for over 100 years and we've been doing women's for over 100 years. So we've been redeveloping uh, our sneaker range, our women's range and our casual range, which you'll see in the showroom, which I hope you guys have a chance to have a look at. Um, uh, everything in these shoes we do, we're trying to uh, inject what are the qualities of churches, um, the elegance, fine quality and luxury um, that you all know. We're also doing the casual world. We know our customer is refined, he's elegant, and he also wants to be the same um, in, in the casual environment, and churches is delivering that. Um, what you see is just a, a minor part of the collection, we do produce over 400 pairs of um, uh, shoes, each different styles each season. Um, and like the ladies, which many of you are surprised, now make up 30% of our business. Uh, we are truly international. We've got 60 stores throughout the world. Um, and our customers are broad. Uh, we see highly fashionable people wearing our shoes as we do the traditional business person. Uh, we do cover a multitude of uses and a multitude of styles. Now, elegant, timeless, and um, hopefully that helps some of you want to buy some shoes for you or your children. <laughs> uh, it's great to see a diverse mix of people here tonight. I'm looking forward to listening and getting some insights from our special guests, Dylan, Ben and Harry, or from the Northampton Saints. 
um, which church has been associated with for more than 40 years. Um, Our guests are also quite diverse. Uh, Dylan is a former England captain from New Zealand. Ben is an all-black from Australia. And luckily, though, we have Harry, an Englishman from England. (laughs) So without further ado, I introduce our interviewer, Joseph Bullimore. He's a passionate uh, ex-rugby player. Oh, I'm not sure about that. He's also English from England. Yep. And he's the editor from Gentleman's Journal, a luxury lifestyle magazine distributed throughout the world. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anthony. Uh, I should also say, my rugby credentials, I played under-20s Oxfordshire B, played three, lost three, charged down in the final minute versus Dorset and Wilts for um, a dreadful try. So a pretty similar standard of boys across here. And if anyone wants to ask about my rugby career, find me in the pub afterwards. Um, Anthony, I should also say on that theme, is I think an Italian Kiwi running an English shoe brand. So we've got everything going on. Um, And it's brilliant. Uh, I'll quickly introduce these boys, embarrass them, and tell you all about their sparkling CVs. We've got Dylan Hartley, the most capped hooker in English history. He was telling me earlier. (laughs) He asked me to, to lead with that. Um, Dylan Hartley, of course, uh, Saints front row stalwart and played in 2011 World Cup in your home country, country, well, you know, where you grew up in New Zealand. So he's got some insights from there. We've got Ben Franks, Saints and all black prop, tight head and loose head. Is it? Bit of everything. Yeah, just wherever they coach. Bit of everything. Uh, Ben's got 47 caps, is that right? Yeah. Which is about a bit like having 200 anywhere else because... The All Blacks are so bloody good. And he's won two World Cups, so he's certainly got a lot to tell us. And then, of course, Harry on the end, uh, who is, was the under-20s captain in the 2016 World Cup. They won that one. Harry scored 23 points in the final. Is that right? Uh, you don't remember. I remember. It was a hell of a day. So well done, everyone. I mean, we can end it there. We've already, we've already won. Um, but talking of international rugby, it's every kind of schoolboy rugby player's dream to play for their country. When did you guys realise, we'll start with you, Dylan, that you maybe had what it takes to make that dream a reality? Uh, well, you've already alluded to my, my upbringing, so my first choice probably wasn't to, to be an English rugby player. Okay, wow. Um, Bloody uh, let's hell. be honest, let's be go. honest. Uh, I grew up in New Zealand, um, first joined my local club at 10 years old, um, and then I had an opportunity when I was 16 to come to England uh, and play. And that's where professional rugby became a reality for me. I think the, um, the, the depth in, in Kiwi rugby is, it runs pretty deep. So the opportunity for me to progress and, and improve and, and make a career out, out of it wasn't there at the time. So I found a way to, to make that work. Um, so I jumped on a plane at 16 and uh, haven't been home since. Wow. Well, we're very glad you're here. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Uh, Harry, you've been playing professional rugby since you were about six and a half, as far as I can tell, and you've probably been about as big as that as well. When did you realise that you were going to make the transition from just pretty good at rugby to a professional player? I think for me, it was actually quite late. I... um until I was until I actually moved to Northampton, I grew up in Manchester, and uh, all I played was football and cricket. So until it shocks a lot of people when I say it, but when I moved to Northampton when I was 12 years old, that was the first time I started playing. Um, 
And up until about 16, 17, I, I uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but rugby and cricket were my two main sports. And at 17, I got told uh, by North Ants County that I had to make a choice. Uh, and it was then that my rugby, I realised actually that rugby was what I wanted to do. So I uh, made that choice. And um, so far, it's been uh, an interesting one, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, of course, you were uh, born and bred in New Zealand. And New Zealand, a tiny country with a tiny population in comparison to England, uh, but seemed to dominate rugby for the last kind of century, at least. What is it about New Zealand that makes so many good rugby players? And can we have some of it? <laughs> um, I think uh, it's just the environment. I think if you look in any countries or companies or anything, that are a dominant um, yeah, in New Zealand, it's the number one sport, um, so the selection's uh, minimal, so all the top talent goes to rugby. Um, I said it's the number one game in New Zealand, so, um, you know, if you ever look at, like, a country like Brazil or something, they always talk about, you know, they'll see kids in the street kicking a stone, you know, they'll, they'll play football or anything, that's, that's what New Zealand's like too, in the winter you'll you'll go to any park and there'll be a game of rugby happening. Um, the most important thing at school is uh, before school, lunchtime and after school for rugby. Um, and then in the summer months, we play touch rugby, um, which quickly turns into tackle rugby anyway. So um, <clears throat> I, I suppose so. The, the, the talent's been nurtured from a young age. You know, you're talking about four, five, and... Um, and then it's just the, the competitiveness for it. Like first 15 rugby, school rugby is huge in New Zealand. Like it's it's televised. It's probably the biggest rugby in New Zealand behind super rugby these days. So, you know, schools will be getting 10,000 plus to those. It's televised. So, you know, the the, the pathway through to the All Blacks is, is quite intense. And I think all those factors lead to quite a lot of talent, even though it's um, a small population. Also, I think where New Zealand is, we're in the South Pacific, so we've got, we're a melting pot. Obviously, we've got uh, the European influences from the settlers that come over, but uh, we've got a lot of Polynesian uh, influence too, you know, with their flair and size, so it's sort of quite a, quite a good mixture. Yeah. And we're, we're in mid-September now, the kind of back-to-school feel is in the air, and you're going back to those first matches after pre-season. Dylan, as a veteran of the Saints team, how do you welcome new boys who are starting the season in? What are the initiations? What do you put them through? We can go off the record. It won't leave this room apart from <laughs> the microphones. Do we have any? I don't know. Not anymore. Times have, times have changed. Oh, God. They, they have. Uh, from when I kind of first started out, you, you know, the, the drinking culture in rugby certainly changed and I just, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen anymore. Um, not even a song on the back of a bus, and yeah, that, that's kind of cringeworthy, and it's no one really, no one really Isn't commits that the point? to it. And I don't know. Um, unless you guys have got anything that we used to do that we can talk about, or we do do, <laughs> we can talk about. But I think the games, the games moved on. Yeah. You know, training's pretty um, intense now. Recovery's very important. Um, but saying that after after a, a win on a Saturday, it's always encouraged to 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 have a couple of beers and probably the significance of of having a drink with someone, even if you don't drink, um, it's just spending that time together after preparing all week and then ultimately 
uh, performing and working hard for each other for 80 minutes. I think the significance of that bear or whatever it may be uh, is still there within the game. And Harry, you've been, you've been through the kind of age levels and then you were called up to the England squad a couple of years ago for a tour. What was it like being the new boy with all the people you'd presumably watched on television and kind of idolised? Yeah, I think it could have been quite intimidating um, from the outside, but actually having, having friends and teammates that were also there in Dylan and, and a handful of others helped, I think. Um, and a, a really nice thing about that first tour was that a lot of the guys that I'd come through the pathway with from 16 um, up, to, up to that point had their first tour then as well. So, um, you know, the likes of Sam Underhill, um, the likes of the Curry brothers, um, Joe Cognacega, these guys that are all hopefully going to be um, performing for England in a few weeks' time. Fingers crossed, yeah. Um, we were all in it together, so, you know, there was probably six or seven of us, and when it's like that, when you're with your mates who you've grown up with, it makes it a lot easier, that, tra that transition. Good. And so what about pre-game pre rituals, if we can't talk about pre-season? Do you have any superstitions, any of you? Ben, have you got anything? Left sock, right sock, that kind of thing? No, not at all. I've never been um, that way inclined. Um, I've just always been big on routine. Um, leading into a game, you know, it sort of it makes me feel more relaxed knowing that I've done so. If I have anything, it's, it's, it's more my, my routine sort of um, preparing, you know, sort of that, that Monday to Friday, just stepping stones along the way to make sure I can be as consistent as I can possibly be um, from each Saturday because we play a lot of games um, so you need to find a way you know you always have these uh, your top performances but you don't want to be followed with these uh, you know bad performances because the way sport is now uh, year to year you won't stick around that long so me it's just all it's just all routine and trying to stay consistent of course you know. Dylan, what about you? Are there any kind of oh, superstitions? I reckon if I can reach my socks, I'm in a good place. <laughs> okay. I've got a bugger back, so if I can put my boots on, I think I'm, I'm going to be all right. But I haven't played rugby in six months, so I have to like reinvent myself when I yeah. get back to playing. Some Try lucky and work charms. Something out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, what's happened, though, since having um, a family is... Um, I don't know what you do. You've got two kids, but um, I kind of forget that I'm playing. Uh, if, I'm, if I've got a home game, you, you kind of wake up and, you know, when you wake up, you don't get your breakfast first, you sort your kids. And if you've got nappies to do, you do nappies first and bottles and things like that. I remember that kind of happening and then thinking, shit, I haven't drunk any water today and I've got to play a game in like an hour and a half. So you kind of like panic, eat some poached eggs on toast. And um, obviously not as professional as Ben. <laughs> he's 42 years old and still playing. So he, he's forged a pretty good career for himself talking about his process and that, but um, I've never been uh, that way inclined. I'm a bit, bit more relaxed about it. But I think being a bit more relaxed about it is um, how I like to approach a game. Of course. I heard you um, shoot basketball hoops, is that true? Nah, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you heard <laughs> uh, No, not to keep your throwing in? I thought nah. we were going to go on a big kind of... I'll, I'll tell you what we do. We, whenever I practice my throwing, we, we practice with different things Fine. so we practice with footballs basketballs um, small balls big balls um, <laughs> anything so it's hand eye hands to target so okay good you've all travelled the world playing rugby what are the, the worst stadiums to play in I mean the ones that are most intimidating which ones do you dread going through everyone says the principality which isn't the real name 
the Millennium yeah. Stadium is the best. My favourite was always um, Loftus and oh, yeah. Pretoria, South Africa. Um, most of South Africa looks like, you know, sort of <laughs> some parts that look like it's changed since the Simonese, but like they got the stadium, which in Mars would just be a dungeon. Like it's just a, it's just a cage right around it. And, um, you know, South Africa is pretty intimidating as it is, um, especially the, the crowd that comes out for it. So um, we had quite a good rivalry, the Crusaders and um, Bulls for a, for a number of years, playing in the final for four or five years in a row. And, and as soon as you left the um, <coughs> the hotel and the amount of security and guns around your bus, from the bus all the way to the stadium was uh, big Afrikaans with their barbecues <laughs> on the sideline throwing at whatever they could at the bus. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, wow. But the atmosphere that created, like, it really was like one to sort of yeah. savour. Um, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not like a, an intimidating thing, is it? It's almost like... The worst grounds, probably the best yeah, grounds yeah. to play it because of the the atmosphere, the yeah. got the, the tribalism that comes with it. You, you kind of go into Wales and winning in Wales because you know how much it's going to piss off everyone in Wales for a start. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think those are the best places to play. Argentina is a great place to yeah. tour. Yeah. Um, you basically bring a football crowd to a rugby game. You know, constant noise all game. Um, I think, yeah, just anywhere that's hostile creates an atmosphere and almost a siege mentality because because rugby's a, a it's a physical game it's an emotional game so you need you know that that just adds to the atmosphere and um a bit like being anywhere that's you'd perceive to be horrible to play yeah. is probably the best yeah. place i've got yep. one in um, when I, I played one of my first few games i played at king's home uh, against gloucester and i've gone out put my kit on gone out to to warm up and i do my normal kicking routine and I thought, I've heard all this chat about this shed and how intimidating it is and, you know, how they really get in your face and they let you have it. I ran over there first up. I thought, you know, I'm going to go go across there and um, just give it to them back and just kick all my goals on that side and then, in a way, put two fingers up to them um, and set the tone for the day. <laughs> I ran over there. Before you know it, you've got 20 women about this far away, wheelchairs, webbed feet, calling you, call, call, calling you every, every name under the sun and uh, getting into me about my, you know, bleach blonde hair apparently in this, um, just getting into me, calling me a donkey for missing a kick and all this kind of stuff. So that was, that was quite, quite eye-opening for me. Uh, I, was, I was probably 17, 18 and I've wow. gone over, waddled over there all confident and they put me back in my box pretty quickly. <laughs> And what about, does there still sledging in the front row? Do you still get a bit of interprop niggle? Uh, not as much as it was. Like, I think me and Dylan were talking that. We're trying to remember what the original calls were. You know, we're trying to, like when we first started, you know, saying it was just crouch, engage. It was, you know, the scrum just, just to run it. No one in the team remembers it, I think, apart from Mandel's. But we're, we're trying to remember it. <laughs> but there used to be a bit more talk. Yeah. I found when I first started, you know, because you're sort of lining up against each other for a bit, and then you, at the at the moment, it's quite structured. So there's not as, and the game's twice as fast. So you're sort of warm blowing anyway. I'm not going to yeah. say much, but is it, you know, front rows aren't the, you know, the cleverest people. So whatever whatever's being said, uh, there's ladies in the room, so I'm not going to, but. You know, you're right, fat, it won't no, be cricket sledging, right? We're not, we're no. not cricketers, no. you know. Like. 
And what about referees? Don't Dylan, do you, um, what's your relationship like with referees? I mean, you could have asked anyone. But do you, do you find yourself giving a little bit of chat to them? Some people have quite a charming relationship with them. Others it's slightly don't. strange now, because at one point you're Harry's age and you, you're on the up, and then you get to Frankie's older than me. So you get to Frankie's age. Months. And I'm only a couple of months old, but we're older than the refs. Yeah. So you're looking at these refs and they're kind of like mid twenties, and you feel like just saying, Come "Listen, on. young fella, you know, like, <laughs> this is how it's going to be today." Yeah. But um, you've obviously still got to. You know, this is a good thing about rugby when you're not calling them fucking cheats. Um, <laughs> you still call them sir. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't directed at the ref, by the way. Okay. No, of course. I did say it, but I didn't yeah. say it to the ref. Just a general comment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sledging in the front row. I was talking to the opposition front row. Okay, front row. and that's genuinely fine. was, yeah. But yeah, th- that's a great, great thing about the game that that still happens, you know, sir. Yeah. Respect. I mean, respect. I'm not saying respect to you, but respect to you as well. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the Rugby World Cup because um, I'm sure you have some great memories. It's the kind of pinnacle of anyone's career, and Ben, you've played in a few of them. What's it like on the the evening of your debut? Do you, do you sleep much? Are you having nightmares about? Messing up. What was it like? Um, well, my first game for the All Blacks was um, it was a game. It wasn't a test match. It was against uh, Munster in uh, Limerick, um, and it was all of those things. I couldn't sleep. Felt nervous. Yeah. Um, but just it was sort of like a dream from a, a young age. Yeah. Um, it was almost you couldn't really take it in. It was so much, you know, hard work had gone in to get to that to that moment. Managed to play well enough to get invited back again but uh, you know it's, it's such a cutthroat uh, environment you know it's um, but it just goes so quick really that's the yeah. only thing I remember like it takes so long to get there and then you know the dream is man if I could just put that jersey on once I'd just be so happy um, but that's you know that's a big lie because as soon as you put that jersey on once you you want to put it on again and again and it doesn't matter how many times you put it on, it will never be enough, you know. So, um, so there isn't too many memories from my first game just Blur. because I just went so fast. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And Harry, you obviously um, won a World Cup, an under-20s World Cup. What did you say in the changing room before? What Are you a kind of a big speaker or would you just, do you play music? What do you do to get them hyped up? Well, I'll start off by saying the level of significance is a lot less than uh, what these two guys have been through. But um, uh, for me, that that, uh, that World Cup, that tournament was um, quite an emotional experience because um, I'd missed the one the year before through a shoulder injury. And um, at the time, you think, oh, it's never going to come round again. And uh, you get to it and, and you play. You're playing with your mates in your hometown of Manchester with all your family around. So we didn't need to do any talking. A bit like these, the big, the big games that you play in now. You don't, you don't need to do the talking because everyone's done their preparation. Everyone's been on their own particular journey to get to get to that point. So um, there's nothing really that words. There's no influence that the words can have. It's it's more about going out there and doing your little bit to the team. Um, but what I will say is. At the time, you think that the under twenties World Cup is such a huge thing, and that everyone's watching you, and you play well in this, and you're going to play for England the next summer. And it helped with me; it gave me a bit of a platform to continue playing Premiership rugby. I got my my call up to the senior tour the next year. But the reality of it is, 
uh, I haven't played for England yet. So uh, it, at the time, it's great, and I and I credit the pathway and and the age group World Cups because some people only get to that level. But um, I don't I don't want that to be it for me. Of course, uh, I want to I want to push on. So and hopefully get get some experience these games that these two have played in. Yeah, naturally, Dylan. You know this the, the World Cup group who are going out to Japan now. You know them pretty well. You've captained them most of them. What do you think they're going to be doing in the this last couple of days? What are they thinking? It's tough because you know there's a lot of turnover, and and Harry just mentioned some young players there, and and the game moves quick. You know it doesn't wait it doesn't wait for you. You're injured six months, and I think there's seven or eight players in that squad that weren't there when I was there, so the, the game moves quick. Um, but ultimately, I think a lot of relief. Because um, I know playing four warm-up games pre-World Cup, you put all your eggs in one basket saying World Cup, World Cup, but you still got to get there. You've got to play four games to get there. Unfortunately, people get injured. Um, you know, you can play a bad game and then play yourself out of the team. Some guys have played their way into the team. So I think ultimately there's probably relief that they're finally there. You know, they've been in camp for, for two and a half months now, working, um, living in a hotel away from families. So relief to get there relief to get the tournament underway and I reckon just building building quietly quietly excited about playing the first game yeah Ben is the only man here who's worn a World Cup winner's medal what's your do you have a kind of single sentence advice that we can take off you as Englishmen no like how do you put four years of work into you know to, to one sentence that's well, the hard thing brief, you know yeah. you're like get asked all the time about the mm. World Cup as, you know, sort of like this, what is it, six or seven weeks, but I think it's important to remember, you know, it's like, it's it's really four years and that four years each year, like, I know the All Blacks got reselected twice, so you had to be selected twice, um, you had to perform well for your club, and then that built on, and then two years, they usually start cutting it down, and then for us, you know, probably three months out from the World Cup, like England's gone through now, you know, it's a squad of 40, am I going to make this? I've invested so much, you know, and then it gets to that sort of um, the last cut, and it's, you know, for some it's the best feeling in the world, and then there's a the large amount of guys who... who um, their dream ends, you know, um, 2011 for the All Blacks we were in South Africa and they did that in a hotel. It was, it was very much, look, if your phone rings, come to this room. If it doesn't, yeah. you're in. Um, Turn your phone so, off. So it's tough. <laughs> but I think the, the, the toughest thing for the World Cup is there's not really anything to build to um, prepare you for a World Cup. You, you know, coaches do their best jobs, but there's no real format. Um, at that pressure where you're going to spend six weeks together in a foreign country, it's almost 24-7 for, for six weeks. There's no escaping it. So the hardest thing, um, and the advice would be, like, is dealing with that pressure yeah. as, a, as a squad. You know, how are you going to stay consistent um, in your preparation and your performance for that whole six weeks? Because... And you'll see it whenever you're under pressure for so long, people look for ways to escape, you know, ways to get that relief. And that, that can be the small thing between winning and losing. Of course. And Dylan, as, as Ben touched upon, there's professional sport is full of kind of highs and lows <coughs> and injuries and setbacks. Are there any ways you and your career have kind of dealt with the lows and the more difficult times? I know Johnny Wilkerson is obviously a kind of... Yeah, I, I just popped in basically a struggle every 18 months. Nice. Um, the last... 
14 years, I've, uh, I've racked up uh, 60 weeks of suspension, which is uh, no one will ever beat, I don't think. Wow. Um, and you're but, still the most capped hooker. Yeah. Imagine how many you would have got. I know. Um, <laughs> no, but genuinely, I, I, I honestly look at all those things, um, the struggles, uh, as, as probably some of the best things that have happened to me because... Um, I don't know, I think any time in life, whatever sport in my case, when you're faced with a, a struggle, a misdemeanor, a problem, you, you have a choice. And um, I always found that the, the choice I've made is to, to take things head on and, and deal with these things um, and ultimately set goals and work towards them and come back stronger than, than previous. And unfortunately for me, uh, where I'm at now, I've probably... This is the, the biggest kind of struggle I've, I've been in. Uh, it's something that I feel I'm not in complete control of. And I've been working with the England team for 10 years now and ultimately four years with Eddie. And all we talked about since day one was going to win the World Cup. And literally at the final hurdle, I can't get over my issue. And to not be there with the team doing it is, is frustrating, of course. Um, but you just got to crack on. We're here, of course, with churches, and it would be remiss not to talk about these wonderful shoes on your feet. And I know, Dylan, you're particularly excited to talk about your personal style at some length yeah. to these boys. Um, can you sum up your personal style in one sentence, each of you? You're very distinctively dressed, young men. Dylan, uh, do you want to start? Well, Harry's young, free and single. OK. So he's usually... Got. Do you want me to describe them? No, yeah, okay. So Harry, yeah. I mean, he, he makes an effort after training every day. Like, you always got good shoes on. You're always well presented. Hair's always good. Like, he, <laughs> really? no, no, like, you know, he makes an effort. He makes an yeah. effort. He makes an effort. Frankie's from New Zealand, so <laughs> to get him in a pair of shoes and a pair of trousers is actually impressive. Um... And because I'm Anglo-Kiwi, I kind of sit somewhere in between, I think. I mainly wear, like, training gear or farm clothes. Okay. Um, but then... It's like, the same as me. Yeah, yeah but then... Like, yeah, I've got to bang a suit on tomorrow. You know? so okay. You I don't think you own a suit, do you? Just for wedding suit. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, yeah, thank you. That's a, that's a thorough rundown. Thank you. Like, birthday suit. Like wedding suits. Yeah, Fa true, yeah. Fashion's amazing, though, and the the the, the way that the, as a playing group we deal with <coughs> each other's little takes on what looks nice and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, the interaction every morning with what people come in is hilarious. Just seeing the way it, it's the topic of conversation all day, every day. Someone, Did you see someone, his shoes? Yeah. Like how how bad were they? Or you wearing Harry? You wearing your sister's leggings tonight? Or you know whatever it is. Who's someone, the worst? Someone dressed? wears boat shoes right. around, the, and they end up in the pond every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things things happen. I've, I've seen Kit um, Chris Ashton when he when he played at the club. He used to cut people's clothes up. Um, wow, God, that sounds like Chris. It's basically you know when you're a kid, you get haircut, and you're gonna walk down to the bus stop. This is what happened to me anyway. You'd be a bit nervous, you know, people are going to recognise your haircut and you don't know you're going to be judged. So I think if someone really steps out of the box in terms of what they're going to wear, they know they're going to face 50 blokes ready to, to okay. get stuck into them. So a lot of people are quite conservative. I think 
turning up in your training kit is probably the safest bit. Um, but then there's these people that wear their training kit out and about, oh, which is horrendous. When you're in a professional sports team, it's not what you do. The worst crime. You don't go for. Yeah. Like what they're Hill, hoping they'll get Paul, spotted in the pub. Paul Hill, uh, one of um, the younger guys that plays the same position as Ben, he wore like his Saints training kit to a nightclub one night. Wow. You know, it's just like. Did it work? No. no. Oh. <laughs> That's a shame. Not with his. Who's, who's the worst dressed then? Who's chronically bad? He'd be up there. Really? Uh, he. Um, not, not there's anything wrong with this, but he, he, he loves the charity shop garment, um, which is fine. Uh, but the fact that they don't fit him at all um, doesn't help. <laughs> he, um, yeah, I think he wears some of his missus' clothes as well. Okay, fine. Yeah, not, not so good. <laughs> not so good. Yeah. And which nation of rugby players do you think is the best dressed then? We've got some different nationalities here. The Italians must be all right. It's definitely not New Zealand, like we don't no. in that category. <laughs> a lot of farmers in New Zealand. Not the farmers aren't well dressed, but there are a lot of farmers. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of extreme. You go from like country wear to like guys who wear basketball singlets everywhere. You know? yeah. There's no like how old do you need to be before you can't wear a basketball singlet? Like? <laughs> I don't know. It's a great question. <laughs> what about the French? Are they when you see them after a game? Are they? They must be pretty slick. Uh, no. Not sure on the French. From memory, when I used to used to play like uh, Six Nations tournaments, and you'd you'd play the Italians, and you'd have your you'd be given your suit, and it would either be three quarter length yeah. or it'd be over your fingers, <laughs> um, and then you'd see these Italians like nice tailored suits, looking fresh, a little three piece. Uh, and the worst thing is, it was usually the same company doing their suits. <laughs> yeah. So you go in and you get pinned up, you get fitted up, you're like, sweet, tailored suits. Then they come back and they're completely <laughs> the opposite. Of Someone, someone's gone like that, just yeah. put him in that one and him in that one. Yeah, it doesn't end well. Okay, good. Right, before we open up for some questions, I want to just ask you about your kind of World Cup predictions and see if we can work out who's going to win it. Which, we'll start off with which kind of wildcard team do you each think could do unexpectedly well and cause a real upset? Dylan, do you want to start? Yeah, I, I don't think they will go on to win the tournament, but I think there's always a team, a tournament team that do really well. Uh, I think Fiji out of the Pacific Islands could be a wild card. Um, I think the, the playing group they've got and the coaching that they've got, they could uh, surprise a few people. So Fiji, maybe to cause an upset sure. somewhere. Ben, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I was going to go Fiji, but... Um I think a, a team that hasn't performed too well, uh, Australia, just from knowing and playing them a lot, they get confident very quick. <laughs> they can win one game and be fairly confident. So I think if they can get out of their pool stage well and then, you know, if they win a quarter final, you sort of like the, the last World Cup here, you know, they, they didn't go in a very good form and then managed yeah. to, to pick it up in the World Cup. So I think they've sort of been under the radar a bit. What do you think, Harry? I would agree with that, Australia, because. They've almost not been written off, but no one's talking them up to win, and that sometimes helps. I know from when you've gone into games before and everyone's written you off and everyone's saying how bad you were the week before, sometimes it's nice. You catch catch the other teams off guard. Um, so, yeah, potentially Australia. Well, equally, it re removes pressure as well. It's like what you're talking about, being in a tournament and having expectation and, and pressure on you, mm. going in as ranked number one in the world, in Ireland, um, you know, Wales are the Grand Slam champions. 
how, how do teams deal with that pressure? Or are you better off being your blacks, for example, who have, who have lost to South Africa, lost to, to Ireland? So, unfortunately, the expectation with the All Blacks is still there. But maybe, I, I think England, you know, they're, they're peaking quite nicely. Um, so, yeah, I think um, removing, removing the pressure off a team like Australia... I think Japan also. Like, I, don't, I don't think they'll they'll win it, but could easily trip up a team. You know, like someone like a Fiji. I think they're more than capable of tripping yeah. up a couple of teams. Um, of course. I hope that wasn't a reference to their height. <laughs> <laughs> Not on purpose. <laughs> uh, what about individual players? Who's um, who do we think is peaking at the right time to have the tournament of their lives and maybe win player of the tournament? Uh, I think Adi Savia's sort of come on um, leaps and bounds. Like sort of the last, well, he's always been a great player, but just the last, this Super Rugby season leading into the All Blacks, he's um, he's been one of their best players, and I think he could play a big role for the All Blacks. Harry, who do you reckon? This is a real outside shout, but uh, my mate Lewis Littlem. Yeah. Nice. Um, he he's. Um, <laughs> You know, it's almost been like fairy tale for him the last couple of months. Um, but knowing what he's like as a guy, I think he, um, if given the opportunities, which it looks like Eddie might give him, give him a few chances, I think he could make a real difference to the team. And then anything can happen. Yeah. So the, the, Lewis Ludlam, he plays at um, Northampton with us, and a year ago, uh, our boss flew over from New Zealand, and uh, he had a spare week. Uh, he wasn't yet in a permanent role at the club, but he came to watch a few players, and he said he went and watched Lewis play. Was it a Monday night game? Yeah, second and he team wasn't. Game. He was working out his squad for the the uh, the following year, who to keep, who to release, who to resign these things, and um, he wasn't sure about Lewis. And within the space of a year, he's gone from a guy basically playing for a contract on a Monday night yep. to to being capped by England and, and off to a World Cup. So. When you say fairy tale, he's at a he's at a whirlwind kind of eleven months, which is amazing. And is there anyone else you think might? I think if if England can keep um, Manu fit, Manu Tuilagi yeah. fit, uh, he's looking fit, uh, he's looking powerful, <coughs> he, he's invaluable to that team. So very quietly, I don't want to. Okay, of, don't want to jinx it. No. And talking of jinxing it, gun to your head, who's going to win it? Each of you, Dylan. <laughs> Frustratingly, England. Okay, good. England which is great, you know. But yeah, but yeah. <laughs> well, again, I always go New Zealand, but I think um, the other two teams. I think, I think England's got a good shot because I like what they can do with their forward pack. They can actually pick a really heavy forward pack, or if they come up against, if they want to play the fast game, they can put the guy like Lewis and 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 do that too. And I don't think they've. You know, from playing England in the past, I don't think they always had those options. Yeah. Um, and I think South Africa is um, very similar too. Like they're in good form, like England, but they can also go a super heavy pack if they say if they come up against New Zealand, they could go super heavy or they could play super fast. So they've got the enough talent to do that. Of course, Harry, your prediction? I hope England, uh, and I do think that that they've got a good chance. Um, but again, New Zealand would be probably my second shout, um, just because of they seem to be able to turn it on in the in the big tournaments, big games, irrespective of what's happened the last few weeks with their fixtures. So um, yeah, 
I reckon England, New England. Zealand. Good. Two Englands. That means we're going to definitely win. <laughs> right, fingers crossed. So I think we can have a couple of questions. I don't know where... Where's Robbie? He did have a microphone. There he's right in the middle. Perfect. Um, has anybody got a burning question for one of these three chaps up here? We've got one down here. We well, haven't got a microphone. Shout it out. Go on. Project. Um, so you've seen how South Africa turned things around. Uh, should countries care whether players are right you mean, well, their club rugby, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, a different view on that for us, take New Zealand, for example, again, rather than only four million people, if New Zealand didn't have the, the law of, if you stay in New Zealand, you can play for the All Blacks, the All Blacks would, would struggle, um, just because New Zealand's a small country, small economy, like, you're just never going to compete with what, in terms of money, they can't compete with them um, anyway, so to have that carrot that if you stay here, you get to represent this jersey. That that's that's a, that's um, that's a big carrot, which obviously still holds a lot of weight because a lot of guys will will stay until that option's gone and then then head overseas. Danny Cipriani, views should he be there? Did he get the option? Did he get the chance? Been missed out in some of the England games, obviously. If what he did in his playing career in the media. You think he should have got a chance? You think he's the one that's going to get called up later on for injury? What do you think, Dylan, knowing him, playing with him? <coughs> There's a lot of questions there. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Which question? Danny. Danny. Danny Cipriani, just, you know, ultra-talented guy. Um, irrelevant what you think. Irrelevant what I think. Um, Eddie Jones is the man that needed convincing and... I think, um, especially with a, a key position, 10, where Danny would play, he's had George, Ford and Owen Farrell there for that four years prep, or even longer, um, that Ben just talked about, to come in and change the way the team was probably run um, and how the team wanted to play at the, the final hour, maybe is why he doesn't have a place in that team. If, worst case scenario... I don't know, though. No. no. George Ford and Owen Farrell get injured, like New Zealand 2011 when they went through 19 fly halves or something. Who, who's going to step Francis. up? Pierce Francis. Yeah. Yeah. We'll play a 10. Does he do yeah. that? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Any more questions out there? This gentleman here. Um, hi, gents. Um, best player each of you have played against? And why? Uh, for, for me, easily someone like Quade Cooper. Just being, being a, a larger gentleman with very little or no mobility, um, respect, respecting the threat in front of you. So, you know, big guy comes around the corner, runs straight at you, that, that's bread and butter, that's, you can deal with that. But when you've got a guy who seems to have time and find space with the ball in hand, with footwork, uh, agility, whatever you want to call it, um, that was always not fair, but... Um, just very aware where he was and where you were positioned uh, when defending him. Yeah, for me it would be uh, Charles Piatel. Uh, yeah, played bad. against him when he was at Ulster. Uh, and he made me fall over four or five times. <laughs> and I, still trying to work out how it happened. Um, just the guy, he, he can do, he's one of those players that can do everything, so that becomes difficult to play against for obvious reasons. You don't know whether he's going to pass the ball, run round you, run through you. Um, 
so that was quite an eye-opening experience for me um, playing against him. Um, there's not there's not been many players that have just had a one-on-one -on -one, uh, battle with in a game where he's just made made you feel um, feel like that before. So uh, that was yeah an interesting one. Ben. Um, probably Kevin Mialami. Um, he was just just a tough player, but the worst thing was he was so bloody nice. Like <laughs> he was the nicest guy you've ever met. It always throws you off when you come across them because you know then on the field he's just a different animal. Um, and thankfully we become good mates, but it was it was always a really tough battle against. Right, one more question if there is one. Anyone burning? Oh, we've got two. Uh, Anthony, I've got to give it to you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just you were um, you're in the final against New Zealand, World Cup in Japan. Four, four minutes to go. Four minutes, four points down. There's an injury. You're in the huddle. What are you going to tell you guys? Shit, you haven't watched any games recently, have you? I only, I only played for 42 minutes and I was subbed, so... <laughs> I wouldn't be on the field here. <laughs> Jack, Jamie George would be in there giving it the, the rousing speech. Four points down, there's only one option though, isn't there? That's it. Kick to the corner. <laughs> you, 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 you. What are you going to tell Where are we on the field? <laughs> I, need, I need the scenario proper mapped out. <laughs> I'll say... 25, and you're putting the ball in in the scrum. You've got the ball. I'd hand it over to Owen Farrell, <laughs> the what? real captain. Honestly, just trust trust the process. Keep the ball. Don't try and force anything. Um, a bit like we talked about in that meeting today. Keeping the ball in, in those situations is is more important than because um, teams, especially on their own line, defending phase after phase. Um, Referees want want to reward the attacking team, so keeping the ball is your most important thing. Um, not forcing anything. Sure. Ask the All Black; they'll probably say, "Go for it, <laughs> go for it, chance it." And, and I mean, win, did you probably. play in that game in um, in Dublin? Yeah. Scored last play of the game. Yeah. Did, what yeah. was the chat there? Did Liam score that? No. Ryan. Uh, Ryan Crotty. Yeah. Um, well, that game, we'd, yeah, we'd played awful the first half and um, sort of leading up to those games, we'd sort of had two teams, but we'd had, you know, they call them now, it's not the bench anymore, it's the finishers. So the, um, we had a lot of confident, confidence in the, in the finishers. So it was actually, um, you know, the first half was quite hectic because nothing was going right and then it's become quite calm. And I think a lot of times... Um, you know, when you need to score, you don't really want to focus on the scoring. You've got to focus on doing um, the little things really well, like, you know, like a clean out or make sure you're doing your role and whatever the play is. So um, a lot of those times you just got to simplify it right down to something small. And if you're all 15 of you doing those small things, it'll lead to that, that big thing. And in that case, I think we went through quite a number of phases of just building pressure, building pressure, building pressure, which led to a a try um, right in the corner. Absolutely. You make your own luck in life. Wonderful. Well, we'll bring a, a whiteboard next time to do a full debrief of that. Um, but uh, thanks very much, everyone, for coming. And thanks, of course, to Dylan, Ben and Harry for being such wonderful panellists and to Churches and Anthony and everyone for having us. Uh, I guess we can wrap it up there.
Let's give him a round of applause, obviously, yeah. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you may well like the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest quarterly dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, as you may have heard earlier, podcast listeners now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at www.thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. And if you really like this episode... Why not rate us five stars on the iTunes store or, of course, wherever you happen to get your podcasts? I think that would be a lovely idea. Anyway, I'll leave you alone now. Bye-bye.